this morning's person. So joining us today to be this morning's person, we have Ngugi Wa Thiongo, a prominent Kenyan writer who's often mentioned as a prospective Nobel laureate, but who recently won the sixth Park Kyung-ni Prize, South Korea's first international literary award for novels such as Weep Not Child, A, a Grain of Wheat, Petals of Blood. He is recognized and distinguished as covering different angles of lives of people undergoing the process of globalization, according to the review committee of the Park Kyung-ni Prize. Let's now bring him in to discuss more about his life and what's led to such a, a series of accolades. Good morning to you from Seoul. Uh, good morning. Yeah. And I understand actually you are in Korea at the moment. Oh, yes, actually. Just now I'm in Korea. In fact, I'm driving into Seoul right now. Yeah. Enjoying so, your stay uh, here? Oh, yes, yeah. You know, we had a great reception at Wonju. Uh It's really been great, yeah. Did you know much about the Park kyung prize before you found out you were winning it? No, not actually. I did not know very much about the prize or even about the author. In fact, I had to look up her name in the internet. I, then I saw that she was a very, very accomplished writer. And uh, there are very good words about her novel, uh, Oji, or yes. Land. Yes. Yeah. So, but I also discovered a few other things about her. Uh, which, of course, made the award very, very personal. I discovered she was also the mother-in-law of Kim Ji-ha, whose work I knew. Uh, yeah, so that was very, very, very interesting, yeah. I wish Toji or The Land, the book you just mentioned before by Park young was more widely available in English, but... You know, of course, if you're reading something in a translated language, there's always that question in your mind uh, whether you're getting the, the, the full picture. I found one of the yeah. most interesting things about you, though, is that you've written in more than one language. Um, what yeah. advice do you have for your readers? What's the best language to read to you in? I do. No, no. It depends on what language, you know. Of course, you are right. You, you, are, you, are, you have. But um, I know my first few novels, you know, from Weep Not Child to... From the river between Weep No Child, A Grain of Wheat, uh, to Petals of Blood, were all in English. Uh, thereafter, my other novels, including Devil on the Cross and The Wizard of the Crow, uh, were all written in Gikoyo uh, language. Yeah. You may just first say, in connection with um, Toji, the land, and also my books. I really, I'm, a, I'm a good believer in translations, so that although I write in Gikoyo, my books are also available in translations in different, you know, languages. Just mm. Toji is now available in uh, English, and I presume in a few other languages. So I'm a good believer in a translation as a way of making um, different languages and cultures come into conversation with each other. So I'm very proud of the fact now I write in an African language and then having my work available in translation in different you know, uh, languages you know, of, the, of the world. Yeah. 
but the language thing it uh, also reveals the context of your own personal development coming out of uh, colonial rule under Britain to Kenya's independence but also we see some parallels with Korea of course which came out of Japanese colonial rule to find itself under a series of oppressive regimes with the oppression right. that you then endured in in Kenya and actually imprisonment as well can yeah, you just address right. that for us that journey yeah. I was born in 1938 uh, in Kenya, and Kenya was a British settler colony from 1895 to 1963 when we regained you know, uh, our independence. Uh, so I was born on the eve of the Second World War, and then when the war ended in 1948, uh, I was 52. Uh, we began uh, the armed struggle against uh, the British. There was a Mau Mau-led war against the British colonial occupation you know, of the country. So actually there are inc incredible parallels between uh, Korea, South Korea, or Korea as a whole, and, um, you know, and um, uh, the Kenyan you know, uh, experience. Yes. Uh, one of the commonalities I find, which is very fascinating for me, is actually the issue of uh, the colonizing language and the colonized language. In the case of Kenya, African languages were subordinated to English, which became the language of power. You know, these parallels, you know, the, the Japanese colonial authorities attempt to subordinate Korean language to uh, Japanese, you know, language, you know, and, uh, and, uh, mm. and culture. Um, the Korean War in the or in the fifties, that period was also for us a period of the uh, Mau Mau War against, uh, in, this, in our case, the British, you know, colonial, uh, British colonial presence in, in Kenya. So there are all those, you know, very interesting parallels. That I, yeah, and it's with a sense of apology that uh, we have to conduct this interview in English um, for <laughs> not only the sake of. Many of our listeners, but myself as well. Uh, but um, yeah, languages. But my own position, quite frankly, is this: that languages, uh, when they don't relate to each other in terms of hierarchy, mm. but as network, very very important. What's wrong with languages and the politics of language is not in language per se. All languages have the same potentiality. Mm. All languages have their own unique musicality their own beauty, and so on. What distorts the meaning of languages is always seeing language relationship in terms of hierarchy. My language is better than your language, or my language is more of a language than, you know, your language. You know, but when languages relate as network in terms of give and take, on based on equality, languages have a lot to give to each other. And where two languages may not be able to, like, you cannot speak Koyo and I cannot speak... Um, like Korean, for example. Korean. It's also, it's very good that we are able to also communicate mm. in English as a language we have in common. Well, it's very right? convenient for me, that's for sure. Um, exactly. So, oh. uh, but where languages... I see in terms of power relationship of 
the colonize and colonizing in terms in terms of language relationship. That's exactly what's wrong with you know uh, with that kind of politics of language. Yeah. We we are short of time, but I'd like to ask you what I think might be an important <coughs> question, which is. I, I get the feeling that we are missing out on a wealth of literature from not only uh, authors like yourself, but but broad regions of the world. You know, again, this this kind of taps into that that feeling of superiority about certain cultures and certain languages. When when obviously writers come up in the United States or the UK or Australia or some other English speaking country, their work automatically gains a certain profile. What would you like to say now to, to help draw our attention to parts of the world where literature is somewhat overlooked? No, all languages, big and small, have a lot of beauty and a lot of contribute to the, our common wealth as human beings. Uh, a good example is when we look back in the past, for instance, and we look at what we have gained from, say, Greek literature, uh, Greek theater, or what now we gain from reading, I'm just now currently reading the Indian epic Mahabharata, and I find it extremely fascinating. Now, this was written in Sans- Sanskrit, okay? The death of languages, or the first death of languages, is one of, I think, modern tragedies, because we do not know how much we are really losing when any one language, you know, uh, dies. Yeah. And we lose a lot when we see languages in terms of some few languages dominating other languages. It should be more in terms of give and take. In that sense, English, French, German, you know, have a lot to give in the same way as Korean, Japanese, Chinese, Kiswahili, Ikoyo, Yoruba, Zulu, Hawaiian have also a lot to give. Yeah, right. To the world. I, I thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. As I said before, as well, I think there is a cultural element to it that we can all break through uh, and maybe go out and check out one of your novels, like A Grain of Wheat, and and not think purely in terms of trying to read literature that speaks to our own experience. But for, you know, I'm, I I would hazard a guess that many of us would find more similarities though than uh, we'd imagine, even in no, a lot of, a lot of languages, a lot of literatures speak to to, to us. I remember reading Kim Ji Ha's you know uh, poem, yeah. uh, the Five Bandits, and it, it made a very big impact on my own life. You know, there you uh, go. That's in f- Kenya, and it's the one which has impacted me when I came to write my own novel, Devil on the Cross, in prison. It's okay. a f- fantastic well, yeah, example. Prison being, being impacted by a Korean literary product, right? <laughs> uh, exactly. That, that, that's yeah. a, a profound example that we could be inspired by in terms of checking out cross-cultural literature. Thank you so much for taking the time. We've got to leave it there. Thank you for being this morning's person. Okay, all the best. Thank you. And yeah. to you too, Ngugi Wa Thiongo, Kenyan writer and winner of the sixth Park Young Prize.